0: Just before we get started with today's video. Mm-hmm. Mmm. ASMR. Mmm. I'm gonna stop. This video is brought to you by Magic Spoon. This is Magic Spoon's first time sponsoring Decoding the Unknown. If you know my other channels, you know that I'm a big fan of cereal, Magic Spoon in particular. Why is that? Well, because they make delicious cereal. Like, I didn't eat cereal for years. I've talked about this so many times. Just because it's like, dude. I'm like a 30-something-year-old man. I don't need that level of sugar. You look at that nutritional information, you're like, oh my God, what is going on? Why are you doing this to my body? Unnamed giant cereal company. Well, Magic Spoon came along and they were like, yo, facts boy, look, let us hook you up. And they did, they sent me so many boxes. Because I think one time I ate all the cereal that I was supposed to show on screen. And now they send me like, I swear, it's like three times as much as anyone else. I get three huge deliveries of Magic Spoon. <laughs> like multiple boxes in each box, it's awesome. And this month, there are all new, oh, what did they say? They were like, we make healthy cereal. It's like delicious and healthy. They say, read verbatim due to legal reasons. I got you, magic spoon. 0 grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, only 4 net grams of carbs per serving, only 140 calories per serving. They're also keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb. I get the feeling that last one wasn't one of the legal things that I had to do, but I did it in that style. You're welcome. They sent me a bunch of new flavors. I haven't even tried gingerbread yet. I, I didn't even know what this one that I have here is. It's called Honey Graham. I was like, I don't know what that is. But it's delicious. It kind of tastes like a biscuit. It's super good. Um, oatmeal cookie, that- uh, a biscuit like a cookie, Americans, I'm sorry. Oatmeal cookie, waper waffle had before, my favorite's the cinnamon. Still, magic spoon, you keep making these new ones. Cinnamon. Mmm. Mwah! Or peanut butter. Not sure. (laughs) Uh, use your authentic voice. I feel like I did um i hope (laughs) call to action okay where do we go click the link below to grab a variety pack and try it out today and be sure to use the promo code decode at checkout to get five dollars off any order or go to magicspoon.com forward slash decode also be sure you get cinnamon and peanut butter and also try this uh honey graham these are new and exciting also there's a 100 percent money back guarantee uh happiness guarantee they call it so if you don't like it for any reason you get your money back you can't lose Magicspoon.com forward slash decode, and now today's video. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, hello there. I'm your host, Simon. What happens here is I have a mystery in front of me, one that I've never read before. This is a cold read. Uh, This one, uh, Katie is our normal writer on this channel, our regular contributor. But today's is brought to you by Kevin in a partial effort of mine to attempt to get this podcast slash YouTube channel up to two videos a week because uh, I wasn't making enough videos and I'd like to get it to two a week. They're not super long. I think it should be manageable. I rather like making them. I get to sit down and explore a mystery. It's, uh, it's fun. It's fun. I like being able to do this. Guys, if you are enjoying this show, please do consider leaving it a review. If you're listening to it in its podcast form, you could do that on Apple Podcasts. Even now, Spotify has a rating system, so you can go to Spotify and you can rate this podcast, which uh, the higher you rate it, the more people it gets in front of, apparently. Some sort of algorithmic magic. And if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you smash the like button and subscribe. Love all of that stuff. What we're covering today, or Kevin has covered for me, is the... Uh, I'm going to look up the pronunciation of that. I realize I have no idea how to pronounce the name of this episode. Publi- Publius? Publius? Publius. It sounds like Latin, so obviously there's going to be controversy over that why well, it's not in my pronunciation dictionaries So that's not a brilliant start let's try the other one there's a backup pronunciation dictionary which is slightly less good let's try that also doesn't have it well i'm gonna guess it's publius oh it does have it in latin hello Publius. latin i just feel like you could say it just like bublius Publius. i'm just gonna say publius because i uh don't want to be putting on a weird fake latin accent and all latin accent kind of fake because we don't really know how latin sounds let's go <music> for years i will i will spoil it a little i've read this one ahead this was kevin's first piece and uh whenever it's first time with a new author it's like you don't trust me do you I'll, i want to read it to make sure it's good rather than like sitting down doing all this intro and stuff. And then being like, oh, this needs work. So I have read this. I will sort of pretend that I haven't, I guess, to keep it in format. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work. Let's see. For years, my family have been on the bleeding edge of technology. We got our first PC in the Christmas of 1988 when I was only six years old. Still three years before Windows 3.1 brought a vaguely user-friendly experience to the masses. I'm a little bit younger than you, Kevin. And I remember there was a time even when i remember having early pcs and we didn't have windows it was like you could open things up using like dos and then it was also a program it was called like magic desktop or some shit like that it was like a it was like a graphical user interface that you could use to control the computer like and click on things to open them but it wasn't windows and then windows 3 point whatever it was came along and then the first windows i really remember like i vaguely remember 3.1 or whatever I really remember Windows 95 coming along with that start menu and being like, oh boy, this makes things a whole lot easier to use. (laughs) And still, like, what, 20, 30 years later, we're still using the start menu. Which is kind of incredible, the innovation that that was. I remember once they tried to take it away and everyone was like, what the f***, Microsoft? Are you kidding me? By age seven, I'd already started, started to teach myself computer programming, albeit at an extremely rudimentary level. I laughed at my father when he brought a brand, home a brand new 800 megabyte hard drive, declaring that there was no way we could ever need that much storage space. Tell you what, this episode, what, we're three, four minutes in? It's absolutely already well over 800 megabytes in size. <laughs> like I'll try, one of these, will be, you know, sometimes I'll do half an hour, 40 minutes recording, take it over to my computer, it's like 15 gigabytes. And you're like, I bought a hard disk the other day just because I ran out of storage space. And I was just like, okay, what's like the best, you know, cost to, product, cost to space ratio? 16 terabytes. It was like a couple hundred bucks equivalent. I was like, wow, <laughs> what a world we live in. Eventually, my brother and I began spending entirely too much time on the computer, so my father reprogrammed it to lock us out. Upon powering on the computer, it would display nothing other than a non-interactive screen that said, cannot be used, Eagle Scout not achieved. For Simon and his UK listeners, of eagle scouts are like super high scouts right i'm saying this i'm saying this like i don't know this but this is the thought i had when i first read this and now i know that kevin's about to explain to me that it's something equivalent in the uk scouts that i also don't know because i was never a scout um (laughs) you can see the problem when it's like you're trying to cold read a script but you've already read it it's like you've literally spoiled everything for yourself and now i'm like half pretending that i haven't but i have I don't know what to do. (laughs) It's not normally like this. Why can't you lie to me just once? Uh, That is the Boy Scouts of America's version of the Queen's Badge no i i knew more what an eagle scout is than a queen's badge to be honest and something my father was very insistent i should attain to put on my college applications naturally we just programmed the computer to circumvent the lock he put on it in retrospect eagle scout would look much better on my college application than insolent little shit, but hindsight is twenty-twenty. i don't know if i'm an employer and someone's got an eagle scout or they're like yeah i'm extremely good at computers i mean depending on what i'm hiring them for whether it's like forestry work or uh computer programming Probably going to be more interested in the person who's been like, you know, playing around with computers since they were two. Um, So yeah, I guess, I don't know. Do you remember how much we used to care about that stuff? So I guess some some people still do if you're listening to this, or maybe some of you are so past it. But I remember, like, how important... Like, we had something called a UCAS application, right? I guess it's the British equivalent of college applications. And you had to write, like, a personal statement, you put your grades on there, you put all your activities on there, and I just remember how important this was. And it'd be like, oh my god, we'd do clubs just because you wanted to have them on there? Do you like this Duke of Edinburgh expedition where you'd go, like, hiking and do, like, charity work and stuff just to put it on you? It wasn't because we felt good about doing charity work or any of that stuff. It wasn't like I went to, like, these clubs because i enjoyed them it was just because i had to put out my bloody ucas form and i said like, oh my god what a waste of life and how little all of that matters in the i'm getting i mean i guess like look i'm speaking from my own personal experience like university wasn't super important to what i'm doing right now i enjoyed it it was a great experience glad i did it but uh and I guess, like, if you're a doctor or, like, you know, something like that is probably was really important that you had a good UCAS form and did all these clubs. But I just look back on it now thinking about how much I stressed out about all that stuff and how just utterly unimportant it ended up being. <laughs> if someone had told me about it, then you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You don't have to do any of this stuff. I'd be like, wait, but what? How am I going to make a living without And they'd be like, no, no, no. None of that university stuff's going to matter for you, fact boy. And I'm like, what do you mean, fact boy? Who's a fact boy? And it would just have been a huge weight off my chest. <laughs> Uh, all this fighting back and forth ceased in 1991. However, when my father brought home a brand new lightning-fast 14.40 kilobit dial-up modem, yes, suddenly we had access to all the knowledge and information of the entire world, and there was no time for petty bickering. I've got 5G on my mobile phone now. It's—I mean, I had it for like a year. It still blows my mind. Like thinking back to when I first got internet. Like, uh what was the one before? I didn't have 14.4, but my first internet was like, was it 28.8? Like the one before 56K, and it was so slow, but it was so cool to have. And now it's just like, yeah, my phone can just do hundreds of thousands of times faster than that. It's just crazy. That was the theory anyway. The internet was a very different place back in the early and mid 1990s, and most of the user experience took place within the walls of the user's particular ISP, like AOL or Prodigy, or in my case, something called CompuServe if you could even find them websites were crude and aesthetically displeasing useful information was few and far between and a person really needed to know where to look to find what they wanted the amount of prerequisite knowledge required to find anything on the early internet meant that if you knew how to find it you probably already knew everything it had to offer anyway yeah i remember once like they first got internet at school and we could use comp- like it was at secondary school and we could use computers during our break and i remember we'd just go you know around on the internet or whatever and uh, a guy w- asked me he was like dude i want to find some cheats for gta and i just keep trying to go to like he's like gta.com gta cheats.com and that's how he's trying to find websites because was <laughs> like i mean i think yahoo was around so i was like my dude just go to yahoo.com or ask jeeves and type in gta cheats and that's going to serve you better than just trying to guess the domain name <laughs> but it was really like we knew nothing We knew nothing. The internet was so Social interaction was much smaller and more confined as well. Chat rooms topped off at a couple of dozen people. Forums were exclusive to the members of whichever ISP you were subscribed to. There was only one medium back then with which to communicate to large numbers of people simultaneously in a relatively easy-to-find way. Next time you toss some stale bread into the basement, you can tell Danny. Oh, this is a cross. This is a reference for uh, another channel that I do. Business plays where the ongoing joke is that Danny is stuck in the basement. My basement where i make him churn out scripts i'll leave whether he is up to your imagination uh tell him i learned from the best because here after 450 words our story truly begins <laughs> yeah that's uh danny's famous for his very lengthy introductions although kevin you got a way to go danny's normally span pages usenet usenet was the first truly popular variation of internet forums that existed it could be accessed regardless of your isp and it could even be said that new messages would go directly to your email inbox these were also the days before spam and folders with over 9,000 unread email existed oh my god yeah i have to say a few years ago i just sorted it all out and was like i'm just gonna it was just crazy my email inbox and i was just i'm just gonna sort this properly so i don't have it constantly full and that worked and it's still not full to this day which is nice so that configure so that configuration was not nearly as unwieldy as it would be today. Usenet was made up of a network of newsgroups which ranged from uselessly broad in scope to so niche that it was surprising that they had more than one member. Basically, it was Reddit. I've always been a huge fan of music, so when I discovered Usenet and newsgroups, I was quick to join alt.music.pinkfloyd. Oh, Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. I got things about Pink Floyd. The newsgroup for my favorite band at the time. Dude, okay, okay, so everyone loves Pink Floyd. The dark side of the moon, people are like, this is the best thing ever. It's so good. And I was like, really, all I knew about Pink Floyd was the wall, like the, the album and the, the, the famous song. And I just never really liked it so i was like okay let's listen to dark side of the moon let's get really into it i recently bought a pair of fancy headphones and i got that title you know the the streaming service and all this stuff and i'm really listening and i'm like i just don't think it's very good and there's another band i like from the same era that i recently discovered called uh oh my god the name's absolutely escaping me right now which is crazy fleetwood mac fleetwood mac who around same time as pink floyd and i'm listening to them using this is fantastic this is fantastic music this uh an album which is released similar times to dark side of the Moon*, called rumors is a fantastic album it's a brilliant piece of music and so much of fleetwood mac is and i'm like i feel like pink floyd are more famous than fleetwood mac but they suck in comparison (laughs) this is just bad Oh, people are going to hate this, but Pink Floyd just kind of suck. I'm sorry, Kevin. Sometimes there would be information that would be potentially exciting, like reports of the band's set list at various concerts. But being your standard, lazy, unemployed 11-year-old, it's not like I had money to buy tickets, no matter how exciting a concert promised to be. Beyond that, it was the same sort of insane fanboying and obsessive analysis that you'd expect to see on r slash Star Wars, r slash Lord of the Rings, or r slash Simon Whistler. And we all know which of the best subreddits is that it's r slash simon whistler which is a genuine subreddit which you can join this all changed on the 11th of june 1994 when a user posting under the name publius posted the following message oh, okay so it's just like uh, the format changes slightly i'm showing people watching but uh, basically i'll just read it as i you know that's what we do here the message quote my friends you have heard the message pink floyd has delivered but if you listened perhaps i can be your guide but i will not solve the enigma for you all of you must open your minds and communicate with each other as this is the only way the answers can be revealed i may help you but only if obstacles arise listen read think communicate if i if i don't promise you the answers would you go publius end quote the message came amidst the 1994 division bell world tour during this tour columbia records flew a nearly 200-foot airship named the division bell between concert venues. also sent a press kit to the media with several general promotional videos as well as one that simply said a spokesperson for pink floyd has issued the following statement you have spotted the pink floyd airship do not be alarmed pink floyd have sent their airship to north america to deliver a message the pink floyd airship is headed towards a destination where all will be explained upon arrival pink floyd will communicate was this post from Publius, very subtly titled The Message, the same message referred to in the press statement? Nah, maybe, or it's just a crazy dude on the internet. Uh, it seemed a bit on the nose really, but many members of the news group were intrigued and there was a lot of discussion on the matter. But even if it was the message promised by Columbia Records, what did it actually mean? Fortunately for us, Publius made a second post to clarify the message. Uh, quote, as some of you have suspected, the division bell is not like its predecessors, although all great music is subject to multiple interpretations, in this case, there is a central purpose and a design salute and a design solution. For the ingenious person or group of persons, I missed a page here, uh, who recognized this and where this information points to, a unique prize. Has been secreted. How and where? The division bell. Listen again. Look again, and your thoughts will steer you, leading the blind. While I stared out the steel in your eyes. Lyrics, artwork, and music will take you there. Uh, later on in today's episode, because as you know, I've read it before. Kevin mentions this sounds like a bit uh, pretentious. <laughs> uh, really does, doesn't it? So there you have it. And it couldn't be possible. And it couldn't possibly be more clear somewhere within the lyrics album art and or chord progressions of the division bell was a puzzle and somewhere else within them was the solution we had to do was use the combined might and intellect of all the pink floyd fans who were nerdy enough to access usenet and find the answer to the question that we also had to find it was a daunting task or rather it was a daunting task if it was even real remember this is the early days of the internet and fact checking wasn't something that really existed it was hard enough to find information online back then finding a way to prove whether the information was true or not was damn near impossible oh my god <laughs> yeah but we've really come full circle on that one haven't we with facebook publishing its fake not facebook's fake news but allowing the publication of fake news just the prevalence of fake news absolutely crazy but it wasn't unre- unreasonable to believe that this puzzle could be real in the past pink floyd albums had included a satirical backwards message a prank played on a phone operator and snippets from impromptu interviews that they conducted uh, i you know what i enjoyed i just don't enjoy that i'm just like it's like i maybe i'm just a bit boring with my music like but i don't like that in my music although i do really like that tenacious d album where half of it's like comedy and half of its music that's really clever but with Pink Floyd, I'm just like, this just isn't, it's, I just feel it's just not as clever as you think, Pink Floyd. And maybe I'm just too stupid to get it. But I just, it just feels, feels, it feels a bit pretentious, doesn't it? But more on those in the bonus fact. The news group was split, and for a solid month, half the members scoured the division bell for clues, while the other half told them they were wasting their time on the prototypical cute. Yeah, I was like, this sounds like that fake, uh... Uh, the guy from that QAnon conspiracy, which is crazy as well. <laughs> so, who was right, the fanboys of the haters, due to increasing skepticism on the community, on july the 16th, nineteen ninety-four, Publius made the following prediction. To validate the trust of those who believe, as well as to reconcile the doubt of others, I have gone to great lengths to plan the following display of communication. Monday the eighteenth, East Rutherford, New Jersey, approximately 10 pm. 10 30 p.m. Flashing white lights. There is an enigma. Trust. Haters gonna hate, but two days later, on July the 18th in East Rutherford, New Jersey, the lights on the front of the stage lit up at approximately 10.30pm to spell out the words Enigma Publius. Publius. That is... Wait, how do they light... Whatever. However, okay. Yes, so suddenly this is way more real than it was before when it could have just been some stupid guy on the internet. Now it's like this guy's connected to the band somehow. Unlike Hugh, Publius had correctly predicted a future event, and since the lights had not done this at any other show... There was no longer any doubt in our minds there was an enigma and we were going to find the answer at all costs oh yeah we were also going to find the question too we still had no idea what that was either luckily we had publius to guide us he was going to be there every step of the way to make sure someone or someones solved the enigma Just kidding, after two years and very little progress, the Pennet Remailer Service, the service used by Publius to remain anonymous, shut down over legal threats to set anonymity of its users. With the service gone, so too was Publius. Posts started appearing from many other addresses, mimicking the style of the original posts, but there was no way to verify if any of them were genuine. All it took for someone to pretend to be Publius was to write some pretentious dialogue designed to make it sound like they were smarter than everyone else. It's not that hard to do, just look at any Tarantino film as proof, yeah. Yeah, there's another thing. I think Tarantino's films are uh, are good. God, everyone's gonna hate me in this episode. I'm glad they took that dislike button away on YouTube sometimes, but uh, I don't think Tarantino's like tar- Tarantino's films are good. Aaron Sorkin blows Tarantino out of the water when it comes to dialogue, though. Right, right. It's Aaron Sorkin. He's the king. I don't. I don't agree with your assessment. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Tarantino's good. It's just. Fine. it's just it's also super violent ponderously not present the provable per oh, you di- p- 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 so many p's ponderously not present uh the provable purpose i don't know that word it's such a small brain <laughs> a purportedly publius posts public progress paralyzed, but surely if someone solved the puzzle the world would know the mere existence of the enigma garnered mainstream media attention with articles appearing in papers like the new york times and real-life treasure hunts like those found in masquerade the secret and the hunt for the golden owl (laughs) oh my god these are pop culture there's so many i i just don't know these pop culture references i know none of those uh they're newsworthy events so where is the goddamn treasure already what we know considering that even after 27 years we know Cool about the puzzle itself let alone the solution we know a surprising amount about its creation the first thing we know is that the members of pink floyd don't have anything to do with it i mean someone at pink floyd does because the flashing lights right that's right i spent my teenage years trying to find a riddle and subsequent solution hidden in an album that the band didn't even intend to put there i was already into rock and roll so i would have been better served getting into sex and drugs instead of this sort of nonsense that said we also know that the enigma is real. The band had no part in it, likely because they were too busy writing and recording an entire studio album and then making sure that the world tour went smoothly to do something so convoluted. But they were still aware that it existed. Sorry to anyone who thought that Publius was an internet troll who slipped the lighting tech in New Jersey a crisp $20 bill to flash the light, uh, to flash the words at the concert. But it really was a planned part of the show. In 2002, in an interview, guitarist David Gilmour said of the Publius enigma that it was some silly record company thing that they thought up to puzzle people with. Oh, no. That's like, you want it to be something cool from Pink Floyd. It's like, Pink Floyd are cool, even if I don't think they're particularly good. <laughs> but uh, it just turns out to be some, like, corporate bullshit thing. You're like, ah, oh, this is like the opposite of cool mark brickman pink floyd's lighting and production designer also confirms that it came from the record company brickman was the man responsible for the words enigma publius appearing live in concert the event that truly escalated this entire search and he had this to say quote i think it really came and out of though it came out of some guy of washington dc that used to be with the cia or fbi or something that was in the encryption game oh my god this is one of those quotes where it's just like directly transposed from like some interview he gave (laughs) it'd be like making an article based on what i read including my asides and it would be barely readable (laughs) like this he decided he wanted quote continues he decided he wanted to do some kind of album cover and he started talking to steve o'rourke i think what happened was steve o'rourke had in his brilliant mind that he was going to try something on the internet because he had been listening to me and he got this guy because if you notice a lot of stuff can't be traced where it comes from dude what is this since uh end quote since simon is probably now asking aloud steve Rook was Plinkfoyd's manager oh okay i wasn't i was just desperately trying to like understand the writing <laughs> or, like, read it in a semi-coherent way. Anyway, keep in mind that this was an unscripted statement made during an interview, which is why borderline sign, borderline sounds like a load of rambling gibberish. Yes, it does. However, it wasn't unfounded gibberish. Well, we can't say for sure that the originator of the enigma was, in fact, X C I A cia or FBI. In a 2005 interview, Pink Floyd's drummer, Nick Mason, confirms the origin of the puzzle and the creators. That was a ploy done by EMI. They had a man working for them who adored puzzles. He used to work for the Reagan administration his job was uh then would be in meetings with the president and when reagan would say let's bomb these people he would say that's not a good idea sir he was working for emi and suggested that a puzzle be created that followed up on that followed on the web the prize was never given out to this day it remains unsolved what's this dude's career path he's like presidential advisor in the oval office with reagan and now he works for emi i mean i'm sure working for emi is great you get to work for musicians but that does feel like a bit of a career change, doesn't it? I'm not sure how a person goes from working directly with the president to making puzzles at a record company. Indeed. I like to think that he got fired for suggesting we place a nuclear time bomb downtown in downtown Moscow set to explode unless they could solve a series of ciphers. It sounds like something that would be on, like, uh... Is it 24? No, there's one, like, it's like... I feel like in, in that Jack Bauer 24 series, always running around trying to stop a bomb going off in a city or something like that. But, uh what am i thinking of are oh, the saw movies the saw movies right where they're like um i want to play a game except this one is you know nuclear games rather than just you've got your head in some weird sort of brace that's going to squash your skull the saw movies are horrible i used to go watch them on halloween with a friend of mine at university and uh yeah those movies are really like i'm not a big horror movie fan those movies are really like bloody and intense but considering that reagan famously joked into a hot mic during a sound check my fellow americans i'm pleased to tell you today that i've signed legislation with outlaw russia forever we begin bombing in five minutes uh and i i was like really so i goop when i read this before because it's i've read this before uh, i wikipedia'd this And they have a clip there's a clip on the the wikipedia page of him saying this and it's like you can tell he's joking in his tone of voice and obviously he's joking there's people laughing in the backgrounds but it's like dude there's some things you probably shouldn't say we begin bombing in five minutes or uh, whenever i'm around mics i'm just generally assume they're hot like i'm always around mics and it's like just generally assume that that they're hot I have to believe that such a suggestion would not have resulted in termination. However, he made the change in career. My small corner of the internet became a very strange and interesting place for a few years because of it. So, let's recap what we know. Someone working at EMI devised a puzzle and solution based on, at the time, the newest Pink Floyd album release, possibly having input into the album art. This was done all without the participation of the band. So, to craft a riddle around a creative work made by someone else likely resulted in a puzzle so convoluted and obtruse as to be completely unsolvable we know that as of 2005 well i bet if that Publius dude hasn't had his anonymous email taken away he'd have just given more clues until it was solved right but the thing that kicked the, uh, the, 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 the kicked the whole thing over or you know stopped it working was when that anonymous email service went away and he couldn't prove who he was and then the internet trolls come in so they'd have just given more clues until someone would have got it and they've got the prize which spoiler alert turns out to be super lame oh cookies thank you these look great we know if we know that as if so if you're listening to that and you're like oh but I want to know what the prize was Simon will tell me I'll be like you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> so maybe turn off now. It's it's you'd be like oh, I'm still going to listen through and it's still going to be you know even if it's disappointing I'm not going to be disappointed because I was I'm excited to know what it is now. I'm really not trying to tease this. It's really boring. <laughs> we know that as of 2005 the mystery had never been solved and the prize remains unclaimed and that is the most recent official statement that i could find on the matter so what of the prize is it still out there and what is the nature of the prize a golden owl one of 12 keys unlocking precious stones a golden hair stolen by the author's ex-girlfriends oh my god and another series of pop culture references that i absolutely do not get uh surely a prize like that would make a splash where it found right or is it possible that someone solved the publius enigma and kept the prize themselves as a secret since and since this is decoding the unknown what role did ghosts have to play in any of this if you're so inclined then i strongly recommend against it you can watch hours of videos on youtube of people giving their theories and solutions to the enigma most of these videos are just people slowly reciting words from their powerpoint slides over and over again as if to say really makes you think all while donning the same shirt that they had on since the hunt began in 1994. <laughs> people reading powerpoint presentations high quality youtube content there is bound to do well says rambling fact boy Ah, uh, in truth we may never know if anyone solved the puzzle because the prize isn't really a prize here it is here it's getting boring in the same 2005 interview where Nick Mason talked about the puzzle's creator, he also revealed the true and brutally disappointing nature of the prize. The prize was something like a crop of trees planted in a clear-cut area a forest or something to that effect. It was not meant to be a prize of something tangible, but rather a touchy-feely sort of gift that was more of a philanthropic thing than something you could hang on a wall. So after all this time, the real Publius Enigma were the friends that you made along the way. I want my money back right now It's like people are like it's not about the destination It's about the journey unless the destination is a potentially kick-ass prize and the journey is just convoluted and annoying I mean, it's like yeah. Yeah a long drive down the m4. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey What are you you smoking? (laughs) Since there's no prize of any value I can point you all towards, then demand a cut of in- for inspiring your search, this is where the journey ends. If you enjoyed this script and would like more written by Kevin, be sure to get in the comments. <laughs> Repeat call to action. <laughs> Kevin, I love how much of a deep pool that is from my other uh, YouTube channel Business Plays where I do the ad scripts like, really a little bit crazy and <laughs> they're always like read verbatim and then at the end they say repeat call to action so always read that verbatim uh, and i also love the fact that kevin's given himself a plug i've actually i like this so much i have to say that i already assigned kevin another piece <laughs> so kevin will be contributing something else to decoding the unknown i was like go find more internet mysteries i love this shit. um so hopefully we'll hear for more from kevin he's got some bonus facts for us though which is very exciting let's go for my fellow americans what actually is a division bell dude i like how kevin's like yeah all british people know what the queen's badge is they know what the division bell is i have no idea i mean i do now because i've read this before it's something to do with parliament but i had no idea before i read this the first time this was one of the first hints that i remember following i uh, remember publius giving and is something that everyone in the uk probably already knew that except for your small brain fact boy a division of the assembly or a division for short is a means of voting in which members of parliament physically divide themselves into groups and are then counted the division bell rings for such a vote and may and also may ring at the start and end of parliamentary procedures fascinating <laughs> Number 2. Remember the backwards message that I mentioned appearing in a previous Pink Floyd work that gave the whole thing a bit of traction before the New Jersey concert? In empty spaces, on the wall, there's a backwards message hidden that says, Congratulations, you've discovered the secret message. Please send your answer to old pink care of the funny farm, Shalfont." Many people believe this is a reference to the band's original singer, Sid Barrett. I've no idea how, because I'm not super familiar with Pink Floyd or their history, but fascinating (laughs) number three at the end of young lust on the wall there is a recording of a telephone call in which the character pink discovers his wife is cheating on him co-producer of the album james guthrie had arranged to place the collect call to his male neighbor pretending he was trying to reach his wife they wanted the operator to genuinely believe she had just caught someone having an affair so she was recorded without ever being told the truth the recording on the album was the second attempt as they weren't happy with the first operator's reaction Number four, the End of money on Dark Side of the Moon features a number of people claiming that they were in the right. These were various roadies and a stu- and studio crew members who were handed a stack of interview cards and asked to answer each before reading the next one. One card read. Have you ever punched someone, followed by a card that said, Were you in the right? It seems they interviewed a lot of people who felt justified in punching someone else. The iconic line at the end of the album, There's no dark side of the moon, really. Matter of fact, it's all dark, was spoken by the doorman to Abbey Road Studio. Some celebrities were also interviewed, inclu- including Paul and Linda McCartney, but their answers were deemed too fake sounding <laughs> to be used. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, I don't know, I just... <laughs> I guess these are all interesting to people who really love Pink Floyd. (laughs) But I'm just like, ah, who cares? Number five. Finally, where did the name Publius come from? Publius was the pseudonym used by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay in writing the Federalist Papers. The name was chosen in honor of the great Roman Publius Valerius Publicola, an instrumental figure in the founding of the Roman Republic. Maybe they just came straight from the Roman Republic rather than via the Federalist Paper pseudonym. Just a guess. I'm guessing our story's Publius thought his title, his little circle of trees, was going to accomplish a lot more than it ever did. Ah, uh, it was all a bit pretentious, wasn't it? It'd be like, yeah, look at these clues I'm giving to you. You're going to solve it. You got some trees. Woo! Yay! I was hoping for money. <laughs> This has been a episode of Decoding the Unknown. Uh, If you enjoyed it, please make sure you smash that like button below. Don't forget to subscribe. Yo, if you're listening as a podcast, hello. Reviews make an enormous difference. They help get this show in front of more people, which is something I like, because I like it when people listen to and watch my stuff. It's kind of why I do it. It's fun. But if no one was watching, I probably wouldn't, would I? That'd be a bit weird. I don't want to make any money. Yeah, so there's that. Anyway, I'll see you next time. And thank you for watching or listening.